0: Jonah, so if you can turn to Jonah with me, the book of Jonah, if you you need a Bible, raise your hand, anyone need a Bible, do you need a clock, here's the clock right here, but this is mine, you can't have it. Otherwise, I may go way over time. You don't want that. (laughs) The book of Jonah. The announcements are in the bulletin. Why don't we pray before we begin? Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this wonderful book, Lord, referred to by our Lord. The foreshadowing of, of you Lord Jesus buried under the earth or in the tomb dead for us taking our place for us and Lord I there's so much to learn in this book and I just I do pray, I pray in Jesus' name that you would bring it to life and just pray that I would not be a hindrance to what you want to speak to us this evening. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the book of Jonah. The story of the man swallowed by a big fish. Although Jesus said it was a whale, so that's good enough for me. If Jesus said it, I'm on board. There, the, people dispute the, the, this. It, there are so you know you go online and you go into commentaries and you see so many disputes about you know whether it was a whale, was it an allegory, is it literal? You know how can the Throat of a whale be so uh, you know big that a human being can uh, go through it. A little more on that later. But the one thing that I want you to keep in mind before we even get into this book is that there was a miracle for far greater than a man living inside of a great fish or a whale for three days, and that was an entire city. Some believe of a million people. We're saved. We're saved. You know, and I have been now walking with the Lord for for 27 years. Been in ministry for a, a, a while, and there is no more glorious miracle than when someone turns away from idolatry, the worship of self, and turns to the living God, and Uh, a wonderful story about Nineveh but interestingly the great fish mentioned four times Nineveh nine times Jonah 18 times God is mentioned 38 times in this really short book is it four chapters? three? three chapters and This story, although Nineveh certainly is a part of the story, the the, the revival, the repentance that happened here, this is about the story of God dealing with a man. And it's a picture of the long-suffering of God. Not only with a city of It's estimated up to a million people, but also with a man. We've been in 1 Corinthians 13. That, on Sunday mornings, that chapter defines love. It starts off with, and I know I say this a lot, but in verse 4, God suffers long. He suffered long with this dude, Jonah. Jonah was a privileged guy. (laughs) He was a prophet. He lived at the time of Jeroboam. Dave, can we get, or Sean, is it? Can we get, the, uh, get, the, get the, uh, the timeline of the prophets up there? So here we go again. Are you guys sick of this yet? I hope not. No. Oh, good, because I'm going to just continue right up until Malachi. I'm going to be uh, showing this. But I, I, I really like this, uh, this timeline here. Sean, can you scroll down just a little bit? There we go. Um, r- right there we see we see uh, J- Jonah here. The, this is a division of the northern um, kingdom in the south. You know um, that is strange because Jonah should be pushed down a little because he's clearly in the book um, in the book of 2 Kings. He's a contemporary of Jeroboam the second, although maybe he he prophesied during that during that reign. The book of Second Kings. Uh, now I don't know who made this chart. It could be that they were Jonah prophesied before Jeroboam came about Jeroboam, a king in the northern kingdom. But Second uh, in Kings chapter fourteen. Uh, there is a reference to. Uh, there is a reference to Jonah. It's well, many of the prophets we don't have a reference to. In Jonah we do. In the fifteenth year of Amaziah the son of Joash king of Judah, Jeroboam the son of Joash king of. Israel became king in Samaria and reigned forty-one years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai. So. It says the prophet was from Gath Hefer. Gath Hefer. So, can can you put that timeline back up? Yeah. So it it appears from Second Kings that he reigned right that during the time of. Uh, Jeroboam the Second, right there in that reign, you know uh, we don 't know for sure it could be that the author of this timeline is is essentially what they 're saying is they 're prophesying before the time, but uh, from what i 've read, um, he was a contemporary of a contemporary of Jeroboam II there. Now, we have talked about Jeroboam II because um, Amos was a contemporary of uh, with Jeroboam II too and there was tremendous prosperity at that time. Now, most of the prophets in the Bible prophesy doom and judgment. It's interesting here that Jonah actually prophesied about the expansion of the kingdom. And what's even more unusual is Jeroboam II. It says right here, did evil in the sight of the Lord. He, he did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, meaning the people worshiped the golden calves that had been set up in, 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 in Bethel and in Dan in the northern kingdom to, to, try to prevent people from going down to Jerusalem because the, the place was divided. So unusual that Jonah, I mean, he was the big man on campus. <laughs> he, he was a popular guy. Uh, he had prophesied about the expansion of the kingdom according to 2 uh, uh, Kings 14 here, and it happened just as he said. So that differs somewhat with the uh, other prophets, many of the other prophets who we have read about. It's also interesting here, and I love this stuff because I'm a history guy, but it says he was from Gath-Hefer. Gath-Hefer actually is in Galilee from the same region where Jesus was from. And... It, 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 and and so uh, it's interesting that in John the Pharisees and the Sadducees said is there any prophet from Galilee? Well actually yes there was. Yes there was. So uh, anyway so as I put this up, up they're uh, they're calling him their, th- th- in this chart they're calling him a prophet in the south but uh, according to Second Kings, he is a prophet in the north. So, I don't know, I have to write to these folks. Boy, I've been burned after all the time that I've uh, been showing this. <laughs> but anyway, Dave, you better put this down. Uh, I better get that down. Uh, anyway, um, in Israel, uh, he would have been, in the time of Jer- Jeroboam, he would have uh, been a prophet of, Renown. The books. The book starts with the word "now." The conjunction. Some of your translations may say "and." Well, some of you are saying this is going to be a long, <laughs> long message. If not long, very boring. But but, um, uh, fourteen Old Testament books begin. With a conjunction, and or now, and and I I, I really like that because w- w- it, the the sense the sense is is that you know the Bible is just a continued history, his story of mankind, just telling the story of man, and it's just a continuation of the faithfulness of God. It says now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai saying arise go to Nineveh that great city and cry out against it for their wickedness has come up before me. So tells him to do 3 things. Arise, get up. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. To get up and do what the lord is telling you to do go to nineveh and cry out this is nineveh that great city is great in the in the same sense that new york city is great i mean i would never say new york city is great but but, uh, but in a, it is a great city in the sense that it's a very uh, populous city and it's a financial powerhouse in the world. That's what Nineveh was like. It is believed that it was the biggest city of in the world at the time. 15 to 20 miles on each side. Enormous. And uh, no doubt an intimidating place to go. Before we move on to, 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 to verse 3 you know I this really stood out to me as I was preparing. It says God says, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And for the first time, I, you know, in you know, one of the things that, that I was reading, that, that is that's really interesting, for its wickedness has come up before me, God was going to have mercy on this city. The whole city. It's interesting that when God sees wickedness, he sees something very, very different than we do. The Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. When he sees wickedness, he sees Also, he sees the possibility of mercy. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that non-human, like agape love we were talking this morning? That's how the Lord is. That's how the Lord sees wickedness. We see wickedness and and we loathe it. The Bible tells us to hate evil. 1 Corinthians 13, love hates evil. But, God sees also the backdrop of, of mercy. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. Now, we're going to be in the book of nah- Nahum. Interestingly, Nahum, it, it, just a couple books to the right, it says, you don't have to turn there, but chapter three says, woe to the bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery." Its victim never departs. Wow. The noise of a whip, the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots, horsemen charged with bright sword and glittering spear. There is a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses. Assyria was renowned to this very day by historians as being amongst the cruelest uh, people, the cruelest, and particularly their warriors, whoever lived. Verse three says, "But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord." He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. We don't know for sure where Tarshish is. It's a really interesting tidbit. If it, Solomon... The, the Jews typically were not a maritime people. Is that a correct use of that word? The, the, they were not sailors. They didn't really have a navy, although there were a couple of exceptions. Solomon actually had a fleet. It says they went to Tarshish and they would come back every three years. I mean, this place is a long way away. A lot of people think it's around Gibraltar. Some people think it's, uh, think it's Great Britain. I think it's down the coast of Africa somewhere. But that I, I have absolutely no basis for, for <laughs> believing that. And I haven't even read anyone who agreed but, um, with that. But, uh, but anyway, it was a long, long way away. So long, it took three years for Solomon's fleets to come back when they went to Tarshish. Obviously, an amazing trade center. By the way, Solomon did have peacocks and apes and stuff like this. So hey, there's I have a little support for uh, for that. But anyway, it was a long, a long way away. He's like, and and I, I find it interesting thing. It, it says that you know he 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 went away from the presence of the Lord. Now we know that God is omnipresent. We know that, and. But but there is such a thing as being away from the will of God where you are removing yourself from the very protection of God and, and really the comfort of his presence and the power of his presence. To me, one of the most moving verses in the whole Bible is in Exodus. Now, this just happened to be in this this week where... Uh, the Israelites, they're in the desert, they're repeatedly rebelling. God says, okay, go up to the land of Canaan, go up to, the, uh, to, to what we know as modern day Israel. I will send an, age, an angel with you, but as for me, I'm not gonna go with you. And Moses says what? He says, if you're not gonna go with us, I just assume stay here in this wilderness. Now, that's a guy who knew the Lord. There's one thing harder than being in the will of God. It's outside the will of God. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. There's a root of bitterness in his life against these people there they no doubt even though Jeroboam had expanded during this time northern kingdom had expanded it no doubt Israel had been subject to some of the forays of the Assyrians and their cruelty they, were known and it's it's according to his uh, historians entire cities would commit suicide rather than come into the hands of the Assyrian they would just rape kill and pillage they would skin their victims alive and then cover the city walls with the skin i mean and and and, and you'd you'd have these mass suicides and there's every reason to believe that in some of the the Syrians expeditions into Israel that, you know, similar things that happened ha- had happened and he was like, no way, no way am I going to go there. I don't think it was because he was scared. This guy is a man of courage. I mean, we're going to read a little bit. He tells people, in the middle of a storm, he tells the sailors to chuck him off into the ocean. I think he knew what was going to happen when he got there because God is a God of mercy and when he sees wickedness he sees a completely different thing but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish you know I have no doubt that when people were I, I suspect, rather, that when people were asking Jonah, Jonah, what are you doing? Well, you know, I, I really feel like I need to go to Tarshish. I can tell you how many times someone comes to me and, well, I'm doing this or that. And I just really feel like I'm supposed to go there. And, and you know, there's, I saw this Bible verse and I, I think it confirms it. And, and also, God's paying my fare. Jonas like he, God, all of a sudden Uncle Louis you know came to me and gave me enough money that I can afford a fare to Tarsh. Must be the Lord. It's interesting. Spur, uh, David Guzik points this out. You know, an impulse that you have may be very brave, but be very wrong. An impulse that you have may appear to be self-denying, yet it could be very wrong. There is a way to determine the will of God. It's to offer your lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. And to not to be conformed to the, to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I do believe that the peace of God will be an umpire to your heart as to whether to go here or there. But I tell you, if I had a dollar bill for every time someone told me, oh yeah, I heard a sign, I'm supposed to go here or there. Be a rich man. Be careful. Be careful that you are not making decisions based upon feeling and impulse. It says he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. Verse four says, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. So it's interesting how he's outside of the presence of the Lord, meaning he, you can remove yourself from God's support and his power, but God's still there. God sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. I, I tell you, the Lord is so in control of weather. He is so in control of weather. I have so many weather stories in my answered journal. I won't bore you with all of them, but I got to tell you, <laughs> Kirk and Candace's wedding. Was anyone there? Anyone here go to Kirk and Candace's wedding? You were there? Do you remember that? Okay the wedding was outside on a beach. It was really the first wedding that i had you know I had ever was participated in the you know the oversight church had just begun and It was on a Saturday, and on Thursday night, I mean, solid black for the next three days in terms. I mean, solid, solid black. 100% chance of rain all three days. And, of course, they're right in the middle. And, I mean, I was... Really anxious. I mean, I was like crying out to the Lord. I knew. I do know there's two people crying out to the Lord stronger than me, though. I, I, there's no doubt in my mind <laughs> that was Kirk and Candace. And at the same time, I, I already at that point in my life had so many weather stories of God just completely miraculously just you know, taking care of, of, of weather situations <laughs> and. Uh, I'll never forget that the the morning of their wedding. Actually, it was mid morning. The wedding was like at noon. All of a sudden, just the mother of all windstorms starts, and I'm not kidding. This is not an exaggeration. The wedding was somewhere down on the south shore. I, I get Greg's Beach. That's where it was. It was uh, Pastor Greg's Beach. Is that what it's called? I don't think so. But. Um, uh, and literally going down 93, you literally saw this wall of black clouds being pushed away. It was amazing. Just literally going down the highway. And uh, by the time the wedding started, there it was completely clear. It, it, just incredible. And uh, although I have to say, I had that shout really loud because that wind didn't tie down. But the Lord, completely in control of weather. He's also completely in control of fish, as we're about to see. But um, uh, uh, anyway... Don't fight against God. You will not win. You might as well just cry, uncle, right now. He's going to give Jonah multiple times to repent. And the first one is right now. Verse 5 says, then the mariners who were afraid... uh, then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean sleeper? You sleeper. It says, actually, this is quoted in the New Testament somewhere, right? Awake, you sleeper. It's an Old Testament. It's another somewhere. Isaiah. I'm like, here we go. A pagan captain. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Right at that point, He could have said, You know, I need to repent. I need to repent. I need to tell God, Okay, okay, uncle, I will go to Nineveh. Does he do it? No. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots. And a lot fell on Jonah. And the proverb says that every cast of the lot is in the hand of the Lord. We have a better way, and now we have the Holy Spirit. But um, it fell on Jonah, and it says they said to him, "Please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us?" And they didn't stop there. What is your occupation? What's your job? And where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? These people are about to die, they're freaking out. And, and, and what's amazing here, these are Phoenicians. It takes a lot to scare a Phoenician out in the water. I mean these guys, the Phoenicians ruled the Mediterranean Sea. They were used to big storms. They are used to being out in big storms. And they're freaking out. I I grew up, some of you have heard, my my dad literally would take us out in the boat when there was a small craft warning. There would be yachts going into the harbor, and we would be going out of the harbor like in a 16-foot sailboat. And 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 we would spend sometimes half the time bailing water, you know, out of the boat. I just like three weeks ago, I, and, and I'm completely uh, on a rabbit trail right now. By the way, I'm just warning you. But the other week ago, I, uh, three weeks ago, I had this dream, and this dream was not from God. I'll just tell you right in advance. But the, 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 well, maybe. Hey, wait. Maybe it is. Maybe someone here can interpret it, but there was this, wow, this really may be from the Lord as I think about it. But anyway, I was out in the ocean and there was a massive wave. I am talking like a 60 foot wave coming towards me. And I was like, cool. You know, and, and I'm am a I'm a person who it's not beyond me at all to be absolutely terrified of my dreams. I mean, you know, I, I can be like that, but maybe it is from the Lord, but I just attribute it to, I'm so used to gigantic waves right in front of me. And uh, my poor kids, I see Grace back there, oh my, she almost got killed one time, completely thrown off the, the boat one time down on the Cape when I took her out. Do you remember that, Grace? <laughs> she's, she's like, yes. But uh, uh, But anyway... Maybe I have a gigantic trial, and the Lord is telling me uh, ahead of me, and the Lord's just telling me you, you can be totally cool but uh but but anyway, when the Phoenicians are freaking out, you know it's bad and and and, and you know there was bitterness here in Jonah, there was bitterness for what the Assyrians had done to. To, he probably had fam- he could very well have had family members people he knew who, who were killed and Jonah was as we said it he, he was a very interesting prophet that he was probably he was a popular guy I and mean, he prophesied that the nation would expand it. we saw that in 2 Kings and you know he, he liked the good he liked the good you know tour of duties but I mean, he didn't like this one and there was bitterness in his heart that made him ran, run. And, you know, we saw this in the book. We saw this in Obadiah uh, last week where it concerned Edom. Edom and, and and Israel had this, ever since Esau and Jacob, there was this, for centuries, this bitterness between them. And, and Hebrews says in chapter 12, we talked about this last week as well, it says, beware lest the bitter root rise up among you and defile many. Your bitterness, if you don't deal with it, may cause little catastrophe in other people's lives. Because of Jonah, these guys, he's about to have a bunch of people killed because of hes acting out in his bitterness. That's how bitterness is. Bitterness is a dangerous thing. And, and man, we need to take it to the Lord every day. Sometimes forgiveness is a daily choice that we have to make because the grievance, again, against us has been so severe. But, man, you need to do business with the Lord, remember, abiding jesus says abide in my love how do we do that by choosing to love in spite of the fact that love hurts so bad how do we do it we have to go right into the secret place of his presence and give him our brokenness give him our pain it's the only way but here a whole boat of people is about to be killed because of one man's bitterness it can happen with your bitterness too I just think of the, the children that have, that lives have been ruined because of the bitterness of one of their parents. The devastation. Hatred is a powerful thing. It can be a powerful thing. please tell us for whose cause is this trouble? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? In verse nine, he says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. That's Jehovah. That, the capital, all caps there, Lord. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. It says, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. He said, I was a prophet. Lord told me to go share his love with the Assyrians or go share a prophetical word with the Assyrians. I said, no. You know, there have been times in my life where I have been rebuked and corrected by an unbeliever. It's a humbling thing a boss, this type of thing, maybe a coworker. God's a jealous God. It says in his word that his spirit yearns jealously for us and, and he will use an unbeliever to correct you and bring you back. And there's why have you done this? for the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. He was a man of courage. You know, the people of God are people of courage. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. And it's interesting, you know, we just discussed this morning in Genesis the first and last time in the Bible that the word "love" is used are both associated with de- death. I think Genesis twenty-two is the first one where Abraham goes to sacrifice his son Isaac, and then the last one is in Revelation, speaking of the saints who died during the tribulation period, and it says they did not love their own life. and 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 here again, th- there is that supernatural. There is that supernatural spirit, you could even say, oh, he's outside the presence of the Lord. This heritage that he's had of the love of the God of Israel, there is an equivalent word in the Old Testament to agape. Anyone know what it is? It's important that you pronounce it correctly. Chesed. Don't say Chesed. That's not, that would not be right. Chesed. Can everyone say that? Chesed. Very good. <laughs> and it's often translated loving kindness. And you see this kind of concept of chesed like in the book of, I think the book of Hosea in a number of places. It's just a completely inhuman supernatural love. Jonah knew all about that. He was about to jump in the, he was about to let himself be thrown uh, and he, he actually offered himself to be thrown uh, into the ocean. Eventually, of course, he was because he knew about the love of God. But there was one thing he had going on that was greater than love here and that was what? Stubbornness. Oh oh man, was this dude a stubborn dude? God gives him this opportunity to repent. All he has to say at this time is Okay, God, I'll go to Nineveh. That's all he has to say. His life is preserved, so is everyone else's. But he's so stubborn. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters and and I, I strongly suspect we may have a few folks here because this may be a prophetic word for you. I speak to people on a regular basis in our church who will not speak to family members. And They have just been so convinced, they're so convinced in their own mind of the unfairness and wrong that has been dealt to them. And my encouragement to you is when you encounter a person like that is you... You really question them. You just bring up the cross. And you ask them, so was the blood of Jesus not enough to pay for this person's sin against you so that you're now having to repay them? Was the spit all over his body, was that not enough? Was the the beard that was ripped out, was that not enough? And what is a tragedy to me, because I see see some of these situations, just the opportunity for revival in like a greater family is being all stopped up because of stubbornness. And and I tell you, some of the things that have been shared to me about what family members have done, they're very, very intense. But all that sin that's been, that we've, we've become a victim of, we can't continue to, to pay more than what Jesus has already paid. Moreover, the love that he has, he, he has given to us, the mercy, the mercy that he has displayed to us, we, we need to, in turn, love others the same way. So Jonah said to them, verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. Man, this guy knew God, didn't he? He just knew God. He will become completely calm. See, the prophets of God have always, you know, known this type of thing. You know, Jesus, in a word, he said to the the sea that was raging out in the middle of the sea of Galilee, peace be still, immediately, the Bible says. There was a calm. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land. But they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Verse 14, therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord. That's Lord with all caps. That would be Jehovah. Now, probably, these, if these were Phoenicians, Phoenicians lived on the coast around where Tyre and Sidon was, that type of thing, modern-day Lebanon. These people knew about Jehovah, but they worshiped a pantheon of gods And uh, Jehovah just may have been one or they never prayed to Jehovah, but they sure do now. And this is what religion looks like. Apart from a personal relationship with Jesus, man, we'll do whatever we think works to solve our situation. And that's what they do here. We pray, oh Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with the innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So, Lord, we're about to check this guy over, you know, starboard or whatever. And please, you know, it's like, I know I'll be, hopefully I'll be forgiven when I do this bad thing. Uh, Little did they know it's exactly what the Lord wanted them to do. So they picked up Jonah. Yeah, I just wonder if it's like by the pool, you know, you do several swings of the person. I don't know, whatever. I mean, they picked them up and they threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. It says, then the man, men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. It's not really worth speculating a lot. I do wonder though, did these guys go right back? To port and and make a beeline to Jerusalem or wherever else they could. It's like we saw the real the r- real God in action. It says they made vows, Lord, because you did this. I- I'm gonna make a tra- you know, a journey to Jerusalem every year. I'll be nice to my wife, or I'll be stop kicking the dog, whatever. They made a bunch of vows. It says, verse 17, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's how powerful bitterness is, folks. I don't know about you, but if I got swallowed by a whale... I, by the time I hit the esophagus, okay, or the trachea or whatever you call it, I would be saying, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I mean, this guy, he is stubborn. And, you know, it, it is, is—it is—is we can laugh a little, but it, this is how tragic bitterness can become. Three days and three nights, he just absolutely refuses I'm not going to go too far into chapter 2 we're going to pick it up next week it says that he prayed to the Lord as God from the fish's belly I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you have heard my voice and and uh You know, the question is always, uh, is this whole thing an allegory or is it literal? Well, you know, it's not written as an allegory. Jesus doesn't quote it like an allegory. You can go online yourself and and it is interesting that uh, there was a time... You know, when the battles about the, these issues began to uh, rage 150 years ago, uh, that they thought it was impossible to for a human being to get through, uh, the, you know, the mouth of a whale into the belly. They have since found out that sperm whales, uh, their, <laughs> their throats can be 9 feet high, 12 feet wide, and 20 uh, feet long, plenty uh, wide enough there are a series of accounts of people getting into whales and being spit out. You never know really what to believe. There's a very uh, oft-cited one for years and years and years about a guy named Charles Bartley who... Uh, Was swelled by the whale, a whale off the coast of Falkland Islands. But then someone did a study of it, and basically debunked it. Although I read the debunking article, I'm like, okay, so. But this still has some holes in it. I I don't know for sure, but there are ones that haven't been debunked yet. And um, here's one: The Daily Mail in 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 1928. uh, wrote of a Mr. G. G. H. Hahn, a resident of Birmingham, England, who gave the following testimony. My own experience was in Birmingham, England, about 25 years ago when the carcass of a whale was displayed for a week. I was one of 12 men who went into its mouth. I passed through its throat and moved about in what was equivalent to a fair-sized room. Its throat was large enough to serve as a door. So you know, you see these things, and then the other, the other one that's consistent with all of them is they get bleached white because of the um, uh, the, the chemicals, the enzymes, or, or or whatever. But whether or not it's n- naturally possible or not. And I've read all that stuff and i put it all together and I think it looks like, to me, uh, like it is. Uh, But, um, you know, they argue, is it too hot? How do they breathe, this type of thing? And there's plenty of stuff out there. Yes, they can breathe, but, you know, whatever. The point is, God can supernaturally do whatever he wants. He can keep a person alive. He can raise Lazarus from the dead, raise Jesus from the, 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 the dead, the son of the widow of Nain. I mean, it, and, and he can keep someone alive uh, in the, the belly of a whale. Some people think the reason Nineveh, one of the reasons Nineveh repented was because of this bleach white guy comes into the city uh, and his eyebrows had been burnt off in his hair and they're, who is this freak? Uh, we better re- repent, whatever. But, um, uh, you know, the point is, is that um, th- it is that God uh, kept him alive and And Jonah here at the beginning of chapter 2 appears to be citing some of David's psalms actually he, what he should have been re- really reciting all along was Psalm 139 where can I go from your spirit where can I flee from your presence if I ascend into the heaven you are there if I make my bed in hell behold you are there if I take winds in the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me you can't escape from the presence of the Lord and, and God has a way of getting his work done And it's not worth it fighting against God.